staying in contact. I'm London Mitchell. As the host of this podcast, doors open time and time again through which I learn new and fascinating stories about the part of the country we live in, Northwest Ohio. Today, our focus is on Lake Erie with journalist and author Jennifer Boris Engelking. Her new book, Lost Lake Erie, is full of entertaining, heartbreaking, and nostalgic stories of the lost sites, businesses, and industries of Lake Erie. I've always lived along the lake. Um, I grew up in Northeast Ohio in Lake County. And then I worked for a time in Toledo for a few years uh, as a reporter at WTOL, and I was a reporter in Erie, Pennsylvania. So I really spanned uh, a lot of Lake Erie. I I love to go to the lake. I enjoy um, being by the water. It's relaxing. Um, But over the years, I started picking up stories, um, writing for, you know, Lake Erie Living. And there's so much industry that has taken place along the lake from some of the obvious like recreation. Uh, Even in the 1800s, people understood the beauty and the call of the lake um, and trolley parks popped up. Uh, Of course, a lot of people in Cleveland know about, you know, Euclid Beach um, and there were several in the Toledo area and Michigan and really all along the area. Um, of the lake line. But then so much industry, you know, iron ore, um, the shipping industry, steamships. And it's funny, people will say, so is your book all about shipwrecks? And yeah, there are some shipwrecks, but I really tried to focus on industries that uh, you may not expect that are surprising. Um, for example, uh, St. Joe's Academy uh, that was in Cleveland. My dad is a ham radio operator. And he wanted to go there because he had heard that these this group of high school kids, they were tracking Sputnik several hours before the government was able to track Sputnik. So FBI agents showed up uh, and said, we'd like your tape tracking Sputnik so that we can review it and include it in our research and the information that we've gathered. So these kids from a high school were being mentioned on national news along with researchers from MIT. Um, you know, industries that you don't particularly think of when you think of the lake, but this is a high school that was they looked out right on Lake Erie. And it all impacted so many different areas um, of who we are and what we've become today. And a lot of the industries have gone over the years. And my book focuses on the industries that are no longer here, but many of them led to new industries and new technology. This entire area of the country, and I'm talking about northern ohio really can trace his history back to uh to lake erie to oliver hazard perry and his adventures on lake erie right yeah i think that story is incredible um when i was in erie pennsylvania and i was a reporter i really wanted to do a day trip on the brig niagara so this is a replica of the ship that was used um, by commodore oliver hazard perry and the battle of lake erie And it was amazing to be on this ship. You can't even see over the edge, really. Um, It's a little bit disorienting, uh, but incredible to think that this is a ship that really was pivotal in our region becoming what it was. It was a pivotal battle. um, And, you know, clearly Oliver Hazard Perry was successful and beat the British. And we have this region as uh, part of Ohio and and 
you know, America today, but that was a very pivotal point um, in our history. And had it, had he not been successful, who knows what our region would look like today. And as long as we're going back into, uh, into history, your book uh, points out that Lake Erie had a role to play in the Civil War. Yes, um, Johnson's Island. So this island was really pivotal in bringing prisoners from the Civil War. And they had these barracks that were on the island. And for all of us who live or work near the lake, we know winters can be pretty brutal, um, some winters. And these prisoners were in these really thin-walled barracks uh, that were on Johnson's Island. Today, the barracks are gone. They were taken apart after the war. But um, thousands of men were housed there. And many tried to escape. They tried to escape to Canada. Um, and today, there is a cemetery that remains uh, you know, from what used to exist. And that cemetery is still open if you'd like to go visit. Yes. After reading your book, lost lake erie i can't look out over the water anymore <laughs> and and not think of all the the stories that you have collected in the book and one of the uh, the impacts i think lake erie had in our uh particular history uh here in northern ohio especially northwest ohio was during prohibition and the yes. role of the lake getting Absolutely. the rum running moving from Canada into Detroit and that entire uh, Detroit-Toledo corridor. Right. Yeah, it's. I know, I agree. The more I learn about it, the more it's hard to just go to the lake and just kind of stare out and relax. Like I have all these stories running through my head. And the, the stories of prohibition and rum running, I think, are so fascinating because you can talk to a lot of folks who live along the lake. And I hear over and over again, you know, my grandparents had a house that was right on the water and there was a tunnel that we think, you know, was used during prohibition for rum running. And there were so many points along the lake um, that played a role, like Vermilion, um, the lighthouse acted as a beacon for people who were smuggling in booze and some farmers and fishermen were helping to uh, store these where they would normally store fish. They had it covered um the bottles of alcohol were covered with the sand that they would use for the fish. But you're right, Toledo and Detroit, that was really the epicenter. Um, you had the Purple Gang, the infamous uh, gang down the Detroit River. Uh, they were involved with it. And it was just that proximity to be so close to Canada and to be able to transport back and forth um, played, was such a, played such a pivotal role um, in that time. And there were stories of uh, that I included in my book. There's a, a boat called the City of Dresden that came from Detroit, um, from the Walker Hiram Distillery. And it was carrying, everyone thought it was carrying coal, but of course it was involved in rum running and it was carrying a whole bunch of bottles of whiskey and it was shipwrecked on shore. And people... All the women in the area came and they were trying to help the, the men who were aboard the ship. At the time, nobody knew that it was a rum running ship. And then these bottles started floating out into Lake Erie. And the story is, this is from local newspapers, that the men arrived and started taking these bottles as fast as they can and hiding them, um, you know, in the woods or on their farms. Uh, and uh, luckily, you know, no one was injured, but fascinating stories. 
We are talking with journalist and author Jennifer Boris Engel King about her new book, Lost Lake Erie. Jennifer, in the book, you recap some of the stories from the Prohibition era, but you also touch on the years before Prohibition and the role Henry Ford had in trying to make us dry. A fascinating story. Yeah, I was fascinated with that too. So he, you know, everyone thinks of Henry Ford, obviously, for the automobile. Um, and of course, that was the the major role he played. But he felt that his workers uh, were being influenced by alcohol, that they families were saying they were they should be leaving work at four. They weren't getting back until later that evening. They were blaming it on Ford. And then Ford and a lot of his men were saying, no, we think they're they're going out to bars. They're, you know, bonding together about their experiences, basically working at the factory. And many of them felt that since Ford revolutionized the way automobiles were made, they weren't made um, one by one, like they had been before. And with these very artisan details, they were being mass manufactured. So many of the workers weren't happy about that. They they felt like it was taking away their artistry and their talent. So they would gather together after work and they'd have a few drinks and go home a little bit late. And Ford said, well, wait a second. You know, I, I don't want to hear that families aren't happy um, or feel like this is taking away from my company. So he started what was known as uh, basically like a mini prohibition in the state of Michigan before the actual countrywide prohibition. Um, and it it lasted, I think it was about a year. It wasn't known to be super successful. Uh, this is when the speakeasies were popping up anyway, and, and people were still skirting around this law. But yeah, I thought it was fascinating to know that there was a a smaller prohibition that was started by Henry Ford before the mass prohibition began. You've done a lot of research, obviously, for the stories in your book, whether they're about amusement opportunities on the lake that grew or industry. You maintain a tremendous enthusiasm for these stories. What what sparked it? So ironically, I call myself a little bit of an accidental historian because as a kid, and even into being a teenager, I thought I didn't like history. To me, it was a lot of memorizing dates, um, memorizing names for tests, and and just kind of hearing the same information over and over again. And then I realized as I got older, all I was always a big reader and I always loved stories. And all those books that I really enjoyed, um, like Anne of Green Gables and Little Women, Heidi, they were all really historical fiction. So I started realizing it's it's not that I dislike history. I just want to know more about it. I want to know like the story behind it and more um, about the people who were involved and the, the details that make it more human and not just the dates and names. Um, so growing up in Lake County, I had about a half mile away from where I grew up is was a amusement park called Willow Beach Amusement Park. It's no longer there, but I knew it existed. It was on my bike ride path and I knew it was there. So that always fascinated me. And 50 years before that amusement park existed, there was a shipwreck um, and it was the GP Griffith. And it's still to, to this day, the third worst shipwreck on the Great Lakes. So being an imaginative kid and kind of having these stories always in the back of my mind um, inspired me through the years as an adult, uh, after working in news and working as a writer, to really want to sit down and, and dig into them and find out 
more about our area and more about these stories that I had really only ever touched the surface on. Um, so that's kind of just what inspired it was my curiosity and wanting to get behind just the basics of a story. Um, you know, the surface, like that a ship had sunk, many people had died. Well, well, what happened? What, what, how did people in the area help? Because there were so many farmers who rushed to the scene um, and helped out and saved people. And those are the stories that really inspire me and really want me to keep going and sharing them because I think that's really important. It's, it, I think it makes people who might not think they like history more interested in our history and our region um, and it, the role that it's played. But I also see when I go and research and sometimes I go to actual archives where there's papers that haven't been touched in years and they're crumbling. And I always feel this push to save as much as I can, because I feel like, um, you know, it it really could be lost to the future. People may not ever know that some of these stories happen or some of these people who uh, in a lot of cases were either really quirky or, or were heroes um, that they even existed. So that uh, encourages me to keep wanting to write and tell these stories. Jennifer, the book I thought was fascinating, Lost Lake Erie, because you do tell the stories that make it much more human. It's not just a collection of names and dates, but these are are really interesting stories. One final story I'd like you to touch on before we uh, conclude, and that's the one about the message in the bottle. Oh, yes. I love that story. Um, so there was uh, an amusement park and that had existed, um, Tajmu, many, many years ago. And actually, it was connected with the ship that's on the cover of my book, City of Erie. They had raced each other. Uh, it was considered the greatest steamboat race in history. But years ago, about 100 years ago, some girls were there and they just, you know, they had a bottle Um, and they decided to pop a message into it. And it was found in recent years, um, and it said something along the lines of having fun, you know, at at Tajmu Park. And it was found about 100 years later, and it was believed to have been found basically right where they dropped it. A scuba diver and a bottle specialist kind of looked at it and decided that with the current and everything, that's exactly where it would have been. Um, So they have a each year they have a get together and it's family members and people who had a connection to this park. And a lot of the ancestors came who were related to these two girls um, to the same point and just kind of celebrated the spot and the message that was left there. And I think something like that, I think you always hope, you know, there's always like that romanticized story. If you go to the beach and you find, you happen to find a message in a bottle and what are the odds of that actually happening? So the fact that it was found and it was a way to just like link these different generations um, in the same spot, so many years apart, I think was just a really special story. And I, I had to include it. And I'm glad you did. The name of the book is Lost Lake Erie. How do people get copies? So they are available at a lot of um, area stores. Barnes & Noble carries it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. And then I also have a website where you can order it. And I'm happy to personalize it um, You know, or sign copies. And that is Jennifer. Boris, it's B as in boy, O-R-E-S as in Sam, Z as in zebra.com. And I also have a list on my website of the regional stores um, that are carrying it. Jennifer, it's been a pleasure. Jennifer Boris Engelking, her book is Lost Lake Erie. I'm London Mitchell, inviting you to join us 
next week, staying in contact.